right, welcome in everybody. This is a travel therapy edition of the Wrap the Rob Anthony podcast. We have a special guest joining us today, Danielle Denaris, founder of Actually Cuba, a travel experience, a travel concierge service for people who travel to Cuba, curating an authentic, immersive, memorable experience that reflects the true essence of the island through an Afro-Cuban lens. Welcome in, Danielle. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. I, we're glad that you can join us. I know we had to kind of move the schedule around a little bit, but that's okay. So first question I want to ask is, why Cuba? What made you choose the island there? Well, I'll tell you this. I have been planning global travel for 15 plus years. And I used to plan travel all over the world. And when I first went to Cuba, I felt different. Stepping onto that island, I felt different. And honestly, even after dozens and dozens of visits, after living there, I still feel different every single time I step onto the island. It's just a different place. It's so unique in its history, its culture, its vibe, its energy. It's It, it was an easy choice when I decided to sort of modify what I was doing and niche down. And choosing Cuba, it was just a natural fit. Gotcha. So when most people think about Cuba, they think of the Castro family and what they did or didn't do or how their their rule. Um, so I want to ask, how is the Castro family viewed on the island? And does how does socialism affect tourism and just life on the island in general? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I will not say that Castro and his um, descendants or his brothers um, are viewed favorably on the island. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat that in any way, shape, or form. Um, how does socialism affect the island and affect tourism? Those are two mm -hmm. completely separate answers because when a tourist goes, we always eat. We okay. always have, we always have experiences. And a lot of times we're only shown the surface of the island, making it look like everything is okie dokie. Okay. When the reality is that socialism or communism, depending on who you ask, and the limitations that Castro placed on his people and on this country that have multiplied over the years has put this country into a serious bind. And when crises occur, like a pandemic, it plummets the people into more abject poverty than a lot of them are experiencing on a regular day. So when you try to have such a tight control over how people live, how people eat, how people learn, how people think, it doesn't provide much contingency for when something goes wrong or when something goes outside of the box. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now in Cuba. It's every system was affected by this pandemic. And I've been saying from the beginning, you see the cracks in a system when an emergency occurs and the cracks in Cuba are clear and apparent. Um, but the one thing Cuba will always do is prioritize tourism because it's its bread and butter. So what tourists experience and what Cubans experience on a day-to-day -day or during a visit, two very different things. So let me ask this, how, what part does the United States and like the embargo play on that uh, e economy or that abject poverty that Cubans are facing? Now, if, here, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, no, no, no. Finish I was just gonna say like, I know there's like no trade, 
between the two and that we don't supply them with anything. If the United States opened that up, how would that really be a big game changer for Cubans on the ground? You know, I'm there's a small smile on my face right now. And part of the reason for that is because um, I don't think you know this, but my husband is Cuban. Okay. And so if my husband were to answer this question, he would tell you there is no embargo. He would tell you that Cuba blames the United States for all of its woes and all of its sins and all of its failures. Um, a lot of Cubans feel that way. And I'm a big pro. I'm a big fan of listening to the Cuban people and their voices and their experiences. I can't discount that. I'm not a Cuban. Despite my experiences in Cuba, my connections to Cuba, I'm not Cuban. But the part that we do have to still acknowledge is that we have no idea what the history and financial wherewithal of this country would have been had the U.S. not so royally stuck their thumb in this pie. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we they 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 clearly impacted the history of this country. That doesn't by any stretch of the imagination excuse the dictatorship, the authoritarianism, the oppression, the brutality that the Castros have um, put upon these people. If America weren't itself, I feel like Cuba might have. Cuba, the government may not be any different, but the people might have different opportunities. And and I think we've seen that when Barack Obama opened up um, more paths to tourism and flights started to leave out of the U.S. to fly into Cuba, record numbers of tourists visited Cuba because it's always been this kind of forbidden you know, country, this forbidden experience, record numbers. You know, I know my husband specifically, he renovated our entire home based on the money that he earned because he was in hospitality um, living in Cuba during that time because of all the money that was coming in, all of the tourism. And when Donald Trump came in and he put so many limitations and also, and I'll say this, deliberately tried to instill fear in people to not travel to Cuba. I Part of what I do now is educating people every single day about the fact that they can and should visit this beautiful country, especially if they're travelers, especially if they care about these people. They should visit. They should contract directly with Cubans. You don't have to go through the state to work, I mean, to travel there and and put money into the hands of Cuban people. That's one of the pillars of my business. But more than that, it's a personal passion. It's a personal mission. And when Donald Trump, you know, did what he did, I understand the logic, but the result only hurt the Cuban people in the end. So the, that was a long answer to your short question. But if the United States... Um, I'm not saying to concede to the government, but if there was something that could do to allow Americans to travel there, which is a great wish of theirs, the same way we travel to communist China and communist countries all over the world, if we could travel there freely, I think it would benefit the Cuban people immensely. So speaking of Donald Trump and- Do we have to? Do we have to? No, no, no. no. We don't necessarily talk about Trump, but it's more in who he was- appealing to of course so i would say the white cuban population population that was pushed out by fidel and i guess the 60s 70s and that area that now populates miami and south florida correct he was pushing to get those votes of course those folks were are very anti 
Fidel, an anti-Cuba or anti-Cuban government anyway. Yes. Um, so, so my question is, is there a difference in perception between, I guess, what you would call white Cubans and Afro, the Afro-Cuban population? That's tricky. That's really, really tricky because on the island, um, and I've had this conversation with so many friends and so many um, of my suppliers and the people that I work with and know, and any, I don't want to say, I don't know how to, I think that there is a perception difference in what they perceive the situation to be. So a lot of people in Florida mm-hmm. are descendants of people that left Cuba right right before Fidel took over or right at the beginning of when he took over. The great majority of them have never stepped foot in Cuba. The great majority of them. I mean, outside of people who are traveling from the island currently, but the the, the most rabid opponents have never stepped foot. Their grandparents were there. Their great grandparents were there. Um, I don't, I want to say that the people in Miami believe that they are fighting for the best interests of the Cuban people. And I don't know, and this is my opinion and my opinion alone. Like I said, my husband is Cuban and I know he does not share my viewpoint on this, but I don't think that they quite realize the impact of these sanctions and the things that how they affect Cuban people on a day-to-day basis. So when you combine what we do with what the Cuban government does to their own people, you're basically putting a stranglehold on these people that literally aren't fighting anyone. They are the most genuine, open, caring people I have ever encountered on any of the dozens of countries that I visited, um, in any of the dozens of countries I visited. And it's it's a war. It's a it's a war, and the only casualties are the people who didn't start it. Wow. So, all right. So that's a lot of heavy stuff. So we'll lighten it up a little bit. So a couple of questions here. So yes. if I want to come to Cuba, it are there like restrictions? Do I have to go through the State Department? Do I have to fly through Canada? Like, Absolutely like- not. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I'm so happy you asked me that question because that is one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, about travel to Cuba, that you have to fly through another country in order to go. You absolutely don't. Um, You can fly straight out of New York. You can fly straight out of Atlanta. You can fly straight out of D.C. Now, you might have to make a stop in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. That's possible. Although there are direct flights on JetBlue. Delta used to fly direct out of New York, and then they switched over to stopping over in Atlanta, as Delta is prone to do. You know, I love Delta, Rob. You know. Yes. The Delta girl. Um, But, um, yeah, you can absolutely fly. That was one of the things that didn't change. You can definitely fly out of the U.S. from a lot of major cities around the country and fly directly into Cuba. You don't have to go through Canada, the Dominican Republic, Jamaica, the Bahamas. You don't need to do any of that. You can just go. And the only thing you need to enter is a tourist card. The tourist card ranges in price from $50 to $85. Um, You can buy it at most ticket counters around the country when you go to check in, or you can buy it in advance. I believe American Airlines still sells it in advance of your trip and you can get it in the mail before you even go. So it's really quite easy to go to Cuba. And I hope that everybody within the reach of my voice hears me and books a flight. Now, 
you can go to www.absolutelycuba.com and do that hey. you know, and talk to me about booking nice plug. shameless plug um but more than that it just it just is amazing country an amazing country and you should just book a flight and definitely go it's worth it so now i'm going to ask like about the hotels are they state controlled hotels yes Oh, okay. <laughs> I was Across, gonna the, board. Across the board, there's state-controlled hotels. Cuba, um, like I said, stranglehold on both sides. So um, Fidel um, made sure that any kind of hospitality is 51%. And I'm, I may not be saying the percentage right, but basically controlled by Cuba. So even hotel brands that are hotel brands outside of Cuba, in Cuba, they are state-run. Um, there's a, there's an old, old rumor going around that one of the reasons why Donald Trump hated Cuba so much was, or the government of Cuba, so to speak, um, so much is because he wanted to build a hotel there way back. And Fidel was like, okay, 51%. And he was like, yeah, no, that's not what I do. And he was like, well, that's what we do. And he was just pissed that this Brown man basically looked at him and said, you know, F you, this is, this is my turf, not yours. Um, but yeah, the, the hotels are state run um, by either the government or the military, most by the military. Um, and that was one of the provisions that Donald Trump put in. So like 98%, 90, it might even be up to 99 now, um, of the hotels in Cuba are prohibited for us to stay in unless the person booking the trip has a special license from the government. Um, as far as my trips go, even when Donald Trump put those regulations in place, it didn't really affect me. I know of huge companies that plan travel to Cuba that had to scramble. They suspended trips. They had to, you know, make other arrangements. I've always booked directly with Cubans and I've always booked Cuban casas. So that didn't impact me because I was still doing the same thing the day before the regulations as the day after. Um, and I behoove anyone who goes to stay with a Cuban family, stay in a house, um, find someone on Airbnb, of course, vet them, but try to stay with Cubans. A, it changes your experience there. You get a much more immersive and authentic experience. And B, you're supporting the Cuban people, which should be the intent of everyone's trip, legally and morally. All right, so now we kind of got all the government stuff out of the way. Yeah. Um, what about, like, what type of experiences do you get when you come into Cuba? Okay, so we know you can't stay in a regular, well, you can, but it's a little limited and a little different uh, staying in the different hotels. But once you get there, I'm on the ground. Right. So on, my bags are at my Airbnb or whatever. So now what do I do? when I get to Havana, what's, what are the must see things that I, that I should see as a tourist? Oh my. Um, oh gosh. It's so much. I just, I literally just got chills because I haven't been able to go. I'm going back in a couple of weeks. Um, I haven't been able to go since the beginning of the pandemic. So like my brain is just moving right now with all of the things. So I always tell people you start your trip in Havana. First of all, Americans really through our airlines can only fly into Havana. So you start your trip in Havana, I would say get your bearings by taking either a city tour or walking on your own. There's enough information where you can kind of walk around on your own. Um, if you get a Cuban guide, it's better because you get some of the history and some of the stories and some of the energy. Um, I would say don't go to the places that 
are in the tourist books because they tend to be state run, which means the food is not as good or the drinks are not as good. And they're also a lot more expensive. Kind of talk to the tourists. I mean, talk to the, the, the people who live there, the Cubans who live there and ask them where to go for a cocktail or where to go and eat. Um, you should definitely eat the food. The food is fantastic. There are terrible rumors that say the food in Cuba is bad. Oh, that's so, so untrue. Um, the food in Cuba is amazing if you know where to go. And I, and I don't mean that as in you need to know somebody in order to get to these places. I mean, know where to go as in focus on the family owned restaurants, focus on the holes in the wall, focus on the places that your Airbnb host tells you to go. Eat at your Airbnb, eat at your casa um, and have some Cuban food made by Cubans. Um, as far as sites, Old Havana is absolutely gorgeous, just gorgeous. Um, a place a lot of people don't go, and this is going to sound totally weird, is um, the Central Cemetery, which is Cristobal Colón. And it's gorgeous. And it's actually mapped out with as the streets of Havana are mapped out. So it's really interesting. It's really beautiful. I personally love cemeteries, but um, it's really just quite beautiful. Um, Fusterlandia is a really colorful mosaic home um, created by an artist that wanted to beautify his neighborhood. So when you go into his neighborhood, there's a lot of glass mosaics lining the streets that he's decorated benches and walls and people have let him do their houses and stuff. It's really quite gorgeous. Everybody should spend a day at Beñales. It's the tobacco region. And if you saw how green it was and how beautiful, you would just be stunned. You can ride a horse through the mountains and the valley. And you can eat food and smoke tobacco and roll cigars and drink rum. Um, I would spend some time by the shore or at the beach. And people, and I should tell people, you can't spend your entire vacation um, on the beach in Cuba. It's illegal. But you can go to the beach as long as you have a full-time schedule of meaningful engagement with the Cuban people. That is, those are the law, that's the law through OFAC, which is the governing body over travel to Cuba. Um, but you should go to the beach. The beach is beautiful. All of the beaches are beautiful. You can go out to Baradero and you can go to Matanzas. That's a little further outside of Cuba, but it's still lovely. Um, and there's a lot of Afro-Cuban culture there. Um, you should just really explore, have an ice cream cone, buy some art, go listen to some live music. Um, I don't like mojitos, but if you like them, you should have them in Cuba because people like seem to love them. <laughs> Say that again. I like mojitos. Do you? Oh, yeah. Good. You it looks an American mojito. I don't know if it's diff if it tastes different in Cuba. It's better in Cuba. Okay. It's better in Cuba because. And and I've had them in Cuba. I just don't like food in my drinks. That's the only reason why oh, I don't drink mojitos. That kind of bothers you. It bothers me to have all that mint floating around in the drink. But that's a Danielle thing. That's not a Cuba thing. That's okay. you know. But um, yeah, you should definitely have cocktails and have food and you know dance with a Cuban stranger and be open. Like my very first trip to Cuba, um, I played dominoes on the street with Cubans. Um, I drank rum with strangers. I danced all over the place and I was by myself. You know, I had so, a fan. Yeah. So it is safe to Super go. safe. Okay. Super safe, especially for women. Um, I know women worry about safety and we should. 
Um, I'm a solo traveler a lot, even though I have a husband and a kid, I do travel by myself sometimes. Um, and Cuba is one of the safest places that I've ever been. And it's actually the safest Caribbean island. Um, but, and it's, and the, here's a weird thing about Cuba. It's very dark at night, very, very dark, but you don't feel unsafe. And I've had so many people tell me the same thing. I thought I was weird when I said it, but I've had so many people tell me the exact same thing that even in that darkness, you don't feel unsafe. Um, yeah. Part of that, the the military presence being everywhere? The, well, the military presence really isn't everywhere. There are oh, police, okay. you know, on the streets and stuff. But the military presence isn't everywhere. But there is a police presence a lot. Okay. Um, but not in such a way that you feel watched or over overseen. But Cubans experience it. Cubans probably notice it more than we would. Um but no, it's it's just dark. I, I mean, I don't know if they're trying to save on the electric bill or what, but it's super dark at night. Like there, there are whole streets with no lights. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it's super dark at night. And, it, and it's a little jarring the first time you experience, but you settle into it because it's not like, it's not, I'm from New York and it's not like some neighborhoods where I might go. Um, and I won't say which, cause I don't want to offend. Um, <laughs> But it's not like some neighborhoods where if it was that dark, I wouldn't go. I I wouldn't feel safe. But I've never one day felt unsafe in Cuba. Not not one time. Street lights, even if the people don't have their lights on? The people will have their lights on, yes. But the street lights won't be on. Like, uh, you'll go through several blocks with no street lights. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe that is a state thing to save electricity. I don't know. I don't know. Um. Okay. Um, so if somebody wants to get in contact with you and set up a trip, uh, to Cuba, how would they get in contact with you, uh, to do that? Well, I try to make it super easy for everyone. So like I said, my website is www.absolutelycuba.com. When you go onto my site, if you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, it says schedule a free consultation. So everybody who wants to work with me gets a free 15-minute consultation. And part of that is for me and part of that is for you. This is so that we can see if we're a good working fit. It's so that I can explain to you some of the legalities of working um, of wanting to go to Cuba. It's also so that I can explain to you certain things like I never book hotels, that I work directly with the Cuban people, that I have, um, that my company is specifically geared towards promoting tourism for Afro-Cuban and female guides and suppliers. That really matters to me because they get a smaller piece of the tourism pie. So I explain all those things to you. And then we go through the process. I explain to you how I work. You explain to me what you want. And then we go from there. I create a custom itinerary for you. Um, I've never created the same itinerary twice because everybody is different. So once we do that, we set up a payment arrangement. You can pay in full. You can pay in pieces. Um, I give you all my terms and conditions and voila, you go to Cuba. The only thing I don't do for you is book your airfare, but I do just about everything else and I can help you find a good flight too. So it's really okay. easy. This sounds so. It, I think we debunked that you have to fly through some other country, uh, that you would have to go through the State Department or fill out any forms or anything, that you could just direct, you know, book a flight. It's just a matter of connecting with the right tour guide online, or absolutely, yeah. Okay. 
And making sure that your schedule really does show meaningful engagement with the Cuban people. And just really quickly before we go, I just want to explain what that means. That means that you're not laying on the beach all day. That means that you're actually engaging with Cuban people, doing things with Cuban people, even if it's a guide, even if it's a taxi driver, even if it's an Airbnb, as long as your experiences and your itinerary show that you're really trying to get into the country and really engage with these amazing people, you should be fine. Okay. This, um, I hopefully we demystified some things for people. Hopefully more folks will hear this and go, oh, okay. It's not that hard to get into. There's going to be some meaningful experiences there. Um, and it's worth a visit. So hopefully we change some minds today. And I some hope so. I hope so. All right. So Danielle, this has been fantastic. You were the first uh, travel interview that we've done. We've done some other interviews, but not a travel one. So this is the first true edition of the travel therapy version of the Rob Anthony podcast. So thank Yay. You for breaking our cherry with this wonderful <laughs> uh, uh, discussion about Cuba. I really thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to your guests for listening. All righty. So that uh, wraps it up today, folks. For our first travel therapy edition of the Rob Anthony podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Danielle, once again. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody.